going to read a call to worship to you guys this morning from the book of Psalms, one of my favorite worshipful books, Psalms chapter 99, verses 4 through 5. I'm reading this in the New Living Translation. It says, Mighty King, lover of justice, you have established fairness. You have acted with justice and righteousness throughout Israel. Exalt the Lord your God. Bow low before his feet, for he is holy. Amen.
This is our offering that we bring because he's worthy.
but I'd like to encourage you to remain in a posture of worship this morning. Remain open to the Lord and what he's speaking to us as we move into a time of prayer. And I just want to encourage you to pray in a way that is comfortable for you. Whatever that posture is for you this morning, you are invited to take that posture. But let's pray together. God, we thank you once again for your great love for us. God, we thank you for the hope that you give us, the promises that you give us. God, we thank you that you are worthy. God, you are so worthy. And this morning we are humbled as we realize just how unworthy we are. God, we recognize our humanity. We recognize our brokenness. God, we recognize our frailty, our weaknesses. God, we recognize just how great our need is for you. The one who is holy, who is complete, perfect in every way, lacking nothing. And God, you want to fill us with more of you, making us holy, making us complete, lacking nothing. God, we are humbled and honored that you would see us in our brokenness and in our frailty and that you would offer more of you and yourself to us. God, may the beauty of your grace and the greatness of your love, may that not be lost on us this morning. God, as we just take it day by day and as we just try to do our very best and we fall short, we miss opportunities, we rush past those invitations, we get caught up in the hurried pace of this life and this world. But this morning we pause And we just receive more of you. We don't rush past this moment. But God, we invite you into this space to fill us with more of you, making us complete. God, we pray for those this morning Our hearts are heavy for those who are not able to be here with us. God, this is such an interesting time where 
We go weeks and weeks without seeing our friends, our church family. We understand, but it's hard. We miss them, and we know it's hard for those who are not able to be here with us. So God, we pray not only for a healing touch for those who are sick. We know there are many in our congregation who are sick and who need that healing touch. And we pray that over them this morning in the name of Jesus. But God, we also pray for those who are just feeling lonely, for those who are feeling unseen, whether they are in this room or not. God, would you be near them? Would you draw near to them? God, would you help them to know that they are not alone? God, we just encourage you to continue to speak to us. Meet those needs that that we bring before you today. You see all of them. You know all of them. We just pray, God, that you would draw near to each person in this room, those who are watching. We just continue to invite you in. Holy Spirit, continue to move in this place. Speak to us, Lord. We are open. We humble ourselves before you, and we are listening. Speak to us, O God. God, we love you. We thank you again for your goodness and your mercy and your love for us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It's great to see you all. Just taking a moment to notice each and every one of you. Some of you I haven't seen in a few weeks, so it's good that you are here. Take a look around. You know, churches used to, uh, before COVID, and some kind of got rid of this before COVID, but for some, this kind of left, you know, with other things as, as we adapted to, to this new way of living. We used to have those greeting times, though, you know, uh, where you would pause and just move around the room and shake hands and greet, and and many of us are not sad to see that go, because for many, that's just hard, right? It's not everybody's comfort zone, but take a moment and look around the room and recognize those who are not here, and I just want to encourage you to be intentional about reaching out to those who are not here, let them know that they are missed, that you love them, that you're praying for them. And if you look around the room and see someone you haven't seen in a while, rush up to them after service and make sure they know how happy you are to see them, okay? Uh, We just want to continue to cultivate um, a community, a spirit of community in this church. And COVID can really separate us and keep us divided and separated from one another, and we don't want to get in anyone's bubble but we want to continue to cultivate a spirit of community, of fellowship, of love. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
Well, if you're just joining us today, or if it's been a while, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Organic Disciples. This sermon series is inspired by a book of the same name by Pastor Kevin Harney, uh, who pastors at Shoreline Church in California. And um, this week is going to kind of, we're going to kind of shift gears a little bit because we're right in the middle of talking about seven markers of spiritual growth. We, I won't go into it all because it can get really lengthy, but we're talking about how as disciples of Jesus, there ought to be um, at least seven ways that we can kind of identify as we look inward and we should be able to see in these seven things, how am I growing? Are these seven markers of spiritual maturity, do they have a place in my life? Am I cultivating these things? Am I practicing these things? And for the first three weeks, we kind of talked about the obvious ones. We've, we've talked about um, Bible engagement, passionate prayer, and wholehearted worship. And those are kind of the given, right? Those are the givens. Those are the, the obvious markers, if you will. And so we're going to kind of get into this new space where we're talking about the ones that are less obvious but equally important, and so today we're going to be talking about humble service. And so we'll jump right in. There's a lot here. Whew, you guys, it is a challenge. I feel like I'm sprinting through these sermons because it's a challenge to get all of it in because it's such good stuff. But humble service is no ex exception because as we look at the life of Jesus, so we have kind of a pattern that we're following each week, and we always start with learning from Jesus because that's, that's who our model disciple is, right? We are followers of Jesus. We are disciples of Jesus. We are sitting at his feet, and we are learning from him and his life. And so we start with Jesus. So how does Jesus model humble service? Well, in case you didn't already sense it, that is a loaded question. That's a loaded question, how Jesus models humble service. And I'm just going to start right off by saying that, that Jesus' humble service began the moment that he entered into the world. Before he was even old enough to begin thinking about ministry and preparing for ministry, Jesus' humble service began the moment he entered the world. We look again. I don't have this on the, on the slides for you, but we're always constantly going back to John 1. We find ourselves going back to this verse all the time. John 1, right, where it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That very moment, Jesus' humble service began. Because it was in that moment that Jesus stepped out of heaven into our muck and into our mess. Jesus traded the glory and the splendor of heaven and stepped into our messy world. That right there, bam, humble service. That reflects Jesus' humble heart. Jesus coming into the world, living, serving, suffering, Dying, giving his life so that we could find full and abundant life. That is the ultimate act of humble service. And we recognize that in this, that, that Jesus coming into the world, stepping out of heaven into the world, this reveals the heart of our God, right? And we could look in the Old Testament, oh my goodness, we could spend so much time in the Old Testament noticing how, how the humble heart of God is seen over and over again, where God is humbly serving his people 
over and over again. But we're fast forwarding and we see that in the life of Jesus, this is the heart of a humble God and it's revealed in and through the life of Jesus. But perhaps one of the most humbling moments in scripture if we really think about it, the one of the most humbling moments in scripture where, where we see just the pure humility and love of Jesus' heart is found in John 13. And listen, disclaimer, I know I'm speaking mostly, this is not a blanket statement, but I'm speaking mostly to longtime Christians, if not lifelong Christians. I know you know this story. You've read this story probably multiple times. But if you can, I'm just going to challenge you. Hear it for the first time. Pretend as much as you can that this is the first time you are hearing this story and really try to hear it in a new way. See this story with fresh eyes, if you will, okay? In John 13, beginning with verse 1, we read this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world And go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. It's important detail when you read what's coming, right? Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Fresh eyes. Seeing this with fresh eyes. Put yourself in the moment. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. It was a challenge as I was going over the sermon, full disclosure, to not stay on this one moment or stay in this moment for like 20 minutes. It was a challenge because there's so much we could say. And one of the things I could not pass by is this powerful word, so, (laughs) right? Because as I was reading this over and over again, it didn't stand out to me at first, but the more I read it, it's like, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus is over all things. All things submit to him And that he had come from God and he would be returning to God to reign victorious. So naturally, he would bend down and get down on his knees and wash the dirty, disgusting feet of his followers. That makes sense, right? Naturally. The Lord of all creation who has been given all authority and power, who is from God and returning to God to reign, naturally. This is what you would see, right? No. But isn't that powerful? Let that sink in for a moment. Listen, a regular rabbi, let's just, let's dial it back for a moment. A regular, what I mean when I say regular rabbi is a non-Christ rabbi. This would have been absurd for a non-Christ rabbi to get down on his knees and wash the feet of his followers. You would not have seen this. It wasn't his job. It wasn't his role. That was the servant's job. The servant who was at the bottom of the barrel, if you will. The bottom. That's the servant's job. It's not the rabbi's job. You would have never seen a rabbi, a non-Christ rabbi doing what Jesus did. This moment 
It's so much more than a rabbi breaking stereotypes. It's God, the God of the universe, Yahweh, creator of heaven and earth, getting down on his knees and washing the feet of his followers, doing something that only a servant would ever do, something that the disciples, let's be honest, they would never, right? They would never. This is not something that you saw I love how Kevin Harney, the author of this book, Organic Disciples, I love how he paints this picture for us. He says, to offer this act of service, it's important to note that Jesus had to kneel to touch their feet. The one who would feel nails piercing the flesh of his hands just a short time later got down on his knees and took the feet of Judas the betrayer who had already made up his mind. He already knew what he was going to do, right? Before he, right, you get it. He took the feet of Judas the betrayer in his divine hands and gently washed and dried them. The God who spoke the heavens and earth into existence crouched at the feet of Thomas the doubter and cleaned in between his toes. I don't want to picture anything less than that. I, I It's hard to, you know, obviously I'm not washing anyone's feet up here today. And so just to show you, like, this is not something we like to think about. The one whom Peter declared, the Messiah, the son of the living God, he proved his messianic majesty as he explained to Peter what he was doing as he cleaned his feet. We pick up in verse 6. Jesus, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, You're going to wash my feet? That's how I read that. I can't read that any other way, right? You're going to wash my feet? This is so backwards. Where's the servant? What are you doing? Can you imagine? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Listen, this is not a standalone moment for Jesus. As beautiful and, and as humbling as this moment is, let's, let's get one thing clear, that Jesus didn't wait until this moment before revealing his humble heart, right? This moment was just one of many. It's one that strikes me, right? And it's one that kind of puts me in my place and really humbles me. But this is not the first time that the the humble heart of Jesus is revealed. This is just Jesus doing what Jesus does, living out his mission statement. You know what Jesus' mission statement is, right? You know what I'm talking about when I say that, don't you? No? Okay. Mark 10, 45. This is what Jesus does. He, he tells the disciples in Mark 10, 45, For the Son of Man, even the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We might as well call it his mission statement. It's what he did. It's how he lived, and he did it every single day. Jesus didn't have to spend a single moment doing anything for anyone. Him coming and dying alone was more than we could have ever asked, more than we could have ever deserved. He didn't have to do a single thing for anyone else. And yet, every single day, 
Jesus looked and found opportunities to serve people. Jesus was the ultimate example of what humble service looks like as each and every day he sought to find and heal the broken. He sought to find and free those who were in bondage. Every day he sought to find and serve those who society said was unworthy. Every day he died to himself to give others life. And let's note this in comparison to what we see from the disciples, who, by the way, I'm not giving them a hard time. I understand. Like, there was a lot. Jesus says, you don't understand. I love his bluntness, and he just calls it what it is. You don't understand what I'm doing. I know. One day you will, but right now it's hard for you. I understand. I'm not raking the disciples over the coals, but I just want to show you what this looks like compared to to James and John who are drawing up their, their throne plans. Right, Because just before Jesus says that I came not to be served but to serve, he was just speaking to James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who came to him and said, Teacher, you got to love this, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus seems to humor them. What is it that you want me to do for you? That's how I read that. I love how he asked that question, probably knowing. He knew. What is it that you want me to do for you guys? And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Jesus said, you don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. See, this is not just a request for places of authority from James and John, but they want custom thrones on each side of Jesus. They don't just want to be elevated a little bit, but they want to be elevated to the, uh, to the highest, uh, the highest level possible, right? Custom thrones right next to Jesus, This is humble service compared to what can you do for me, and this is what we think we deserve. And Jesus, again, he doesn't condemn them. He doesn't scold them. He does what he does, and he meets them with grace, and he uses this as a teaching moment. He uses this as a moment to teach them and to remind them that worldly systems of government and power are nothing. They're not at all similar to God's ways. And he finishes this teaching moment by reminding him his purpose in coming. Because it's at that point you read, For Jesus said, I did not come, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Other examples of Jesus humbly serving in the Gospels. We won't cover them all, but we have to notice this one. This one stands out to me as Jesus is on the cross, right? The final moments of his life, he's breathing his last breath, and yet he doesn't pass up the opportunity to humbly serve. Never mind the fact that him on the cross, that in itself is, is humble service, right? It's the ultimate act of humble service, and yet... That's not even what we're talking about. In John 19, verse 25, 
Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, he said, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Listen, Jesus is humbly serving in this moment because Jesus is looking at his mother and he knows that society, the ancient world, society is not going to care for her. There's not going to be any welfare system for her. She is completely on her own now. And Jesus sees that and he sees John and he essentially tells John, take care of my mother. And he sees John and he loves John, his friend. These are the only people who are there, by the way. And he sees John and so he tells his mom, mom, treat John like your son. And in this moment, Jesus is humbly serving his mother and his dearest friend. Do you ever think about, when you think about that, you ever think about how most people, and no, this is not to guilt you or shame you, by the way, but most people find it hard to serve others when they're not feeling well. If I'm not in like a good mental space, like I'm not having a good day or a good week, like I'm going to find that it's challenging to serve other people because I'm just worried about myself, right? And we could even argue that most people, many people, a lot of people, when they're feeling their best, it's hard for them to serve others. And yet here is Jesus hanging on a cross, unclothed, vulnerable as he could possibly get, and he doesn't, he doesn't miss a moment to humbly serve his mother and his friend. But wait, there's more. <laughs> there's more. Okay, so Jesus dies, he's buried, he's resurrected, he comes back as the risen, glorious king of kings. He has defeated death you would think that that would elevate him just you know, to the point where he's not, but he still does. And we see that beautiful picture in John 21. This is post-resurrection, one of the, the many moments that Jesus shows up and appears to the disciples. And what does he do for them? Not only does he meet them in their sorrow and in their grief and in their discouragement. They've been fishing all night. Their best friend has just been their, their follower, their the one who they followed, their rabbi, has just been crucified. He's gone. He's dead. They, they've spent all night fishing. They've caught nothing. They could not be more discouraged. And here comes Jesus. Not only does he fill up their nets to show them who he is, right, and to show himself and his resurrected glory, but then before that, he's already prepared them a breakfast on the beach, and how could somebody demonstrate humble service any better than making you breakfast? Breakfast on the beach. He doesn't stop. Even death and resurrection doesn't stop Jesus from humbly serving. And guess what? He's still not finished. In Romans 8, we read that Jesus is still humbly serving you and I. Because Romans 8.34 reminds us that Jesus intercedes for us. That Jesus takes time to pray to the Father and intercede for us. We don't have to understand how that works. We don't have to wrap our minds around, you know, how does that work exactly logistically? Like, what is that like? It doesn't matter. What matters is he takes the time to humbly serve us in addition to what he's already done. 
I love how Kevin Harney highlights Jesus can't stop serving. Jesus won't stop serving. He says our God is a foot-washing, cross-carrying, sin-erasing prayer partner who loves us beyond description and measurement. Can't stop, won't stop. So as we look at that, and we humble ourselves, right? Because if that's not humbling, I don't know what is. And we, we focus now on our journey, on our journey of growth. And we, we now make this personal and we ask the question, what keeps us from this kind of humble service that's been demonstrated by Jesus himself time and time again? Jesus has set the example that we are to follow, right? He sets the example, so are we following it? And I don't mean have we followed it once, twice, this month, this year, but, but are we following it actively? Are we aware, actively aware? And if not, what keeps us from this kind of humble service? Maybe it's that we don't have enough time or energy, and if we're, that's probably the popular answer, Right? Not enough time or energy. I, there's just not enough time in the day to think about other people. I do, I do good to just get my own stuff done that I have to do. I don't have time to think about other people. Well, I'd say for us, to us, it's time to reevaluate some things if that's the case. And that's hard, and I am totally speaking to myself. Maybe we don't recognize the little opportunities around us because we're too busy looking for like the big, grand, glorious ways that we can really impact the world, right? Maybe so many people are so focused on how they can impact the world, their state, like they're just trying to change the world that they miss all these opportunities that are just right in front of them every day. No one's going to know. By the way, that's how it should be. We miss just those everyday opportunities, people passing by, and we miss them because we're looking for the big, grand, glorious thing that we can do. For me, oftentimes I find, and it's hard, but I'm often afraid of offering too much of myself or my family, right? I don't mind offering too much of myself, but when you start asking more of my family, that gets hard, and that's where I have a hard time Because I know that there are healthy boundaries that need to be put in place, but I can get so good at protecting those healthy boundaries that it becomes a stumbling block for me. And I'm no longer concerned about anyone else's needs because I'm mostly and only concerned with my family's needs and protection, right? We're afraid of offering too much of ourselves or those that are closest to us. Or maybe for some of us, if we're just really honest, and you can be as honest as you can with yourself this morning, Maybe for some of us, it's just, well, you know what? I get tired of serving other people because no one serves me. No one does anything for me, and I just get tired of serving everyone else. And I just have to think that Jesus probably understands, right? Jesus could relate to that. He's over here laying down his life for everyone, those who are actively following him and those who are not. And here are his disciples worried about where they're going to sit in heaven, right? But Jesus was crystal clear in his instructions, friends. This is going to get real preachy. I'm just going to warn you. 
But Jesus is very clear, and we're going to read in just a moment that he has made it very clear that he has served us, and now we are to do the same for others. In verse 12, John 13, picking up in verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He says, do you understand what I have done for you? Hear that for the first time this morning. Put yourself in that moment. Jesus is is looking in your direction. And he says, do you understand? Do you really, I mean, really understand what I have just done for you? He says, you call me teacher, you call me Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord, your teacher, now that I've washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, that's when you know it's getting serious, right? Very truly I tell you, what comes next is important. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Listen, you need to understand that Jesus was not instructing, instructing the disciples to literally go and wash one another's feet from now on. I'm not sure if they ever washed one another's feet because that's not the point of what Jesus was saying. Would it be great if they did because that was a practical way to serve somebody in that culture? Great, yes, if they did that, that's great. But that's not what Jesus was saying. What Jesus was getting at is, I have shown you what it looks like to take the position of a servant. I have just demonstrated for you what it looks like to get down, bend down on your knees at the feet of a friend and to serve them. And now you are to go and do what I've just done for you. Take the posture of a servant. Friends, to be like Jesus, to grow as a disciple, if we're serious about this, then we are to increase in humble service with each passing day, week, month, and year of our lives. It doesn't stop. It never ends. As followers and disciples of Jesus, this is what life is meant to look like. And yes, if you're feeling uncomfortable, if you're feeling convicted right now, because I know I am, that's because this is radically countercultural. We use that phrase countercultural a lot, but this time we're going to add radically to it because this is extremely countercultural. We see the exact opposite of society, right? This is radically countercultural because rabbis did not wash the feet of their disciples. Kings did not touch lepers. Demon-possessed people were confined to graveyards and the outskirts of town. They weren't invited over for dinner. The divine son does not take on human flesh. God does not hang on a cross. The ruler of the universe does not come humbly as a servant. This is radically countercultural. And Jesus broke every mold and then called us to do the same. To live in such a way 
that the world stands looking at you confused, scratching their head because they don't understand what just happened. And Jesus couldn't have been more clear or direct. This is what we are to do, and it's not optional. So what does humble service look like for us? What does it look like in our everyday lives? If this is so important, make it practical, right? We want it to be practical if it's important. So what does this look like every day for us? Well, it's about paying attention and noticing the real needs of those around you. It's about decreasing your pace, moving slower, and increasing your awareness and your attentiveness to those around you. It's about noticing, uh, pausing long enough to notice those daily opportunities that, by the way, are there. They are there. You, if you're missing them, you're not looking hard enough because they are there. Looking for those daily opportunities to just stop and to care and to help and to bless someone through a small or large act of service, of humble service. Friends, humble service should be happening in your homes. Whether you live alone or live with other people, humble service should be happening in your homes. You should be noticing the needs of your spouse. You should be pausing to, to see your spouse and to see where they are and just ask, what do they need from me? I, I low-key see some of you making side eyes. <laughs> she caught me. <laughs> Right? We, we should. We should be looking at our spouse and, and asking, what can I do to serve them? Even when they just ticked you right off. Even when they have not paid any attention to you, Jesus would say you are to still look for ways that you can love and serve your spouse. And parents, we ought to be actively looking for ways to love and serve our children. Right? We are to ask things of them, but, but we also ought to humble ourselves. And this goes for your children that are still at home or your grown children. How can you serve and love your children and kids? Grown kids, how can you serve and love your parents? What do they need? How can you humbly serve your parents? And listen, I know when you get into the muck of like relational dysfunction, this is hard. And boundaries are important. Right? And we're still recognizing important boundaries, and you can do with that what you will. But humble service ought to be happening in our homes. Humble service should be happening in our neighborhoods. Yes, this is also a neighbor thing. You thought we were done talking about your neighbors, but we're not. This is a neighbor thing. You ought to be looking for ways in which you can serve your neighbors always. And, and here's what I find that in the winter months, in the winter months we're, we're kind of shut in our homes, right? And we don't spend a lot of time outside and so it's really easy to miss opportunities and ways that you can serve your neighbors. But this is where I look at people who, he's gonna hate this, he's really gonna hate this. But I look at my husband who looks at that as a challenge, right? And he's like, Okay, it's winter, and it's going to be snowy, and so I, what can I do? How can I get creative and get out and about and serve my neighbors? See, when we went home in, to Arkansas in December, he spent some time with his dad building a snowplow for his four-wheeler. He and his dad do things like that. They just build a plow. <laughs> they, they, they make something out of nothing, and they build a plow attachment for a four-wheeler. And so they did that, and I thought, 
I thought it was a little weird because I was like, I don't think we're going to get that much snow and our driveway is not that big and there's really not that much to plow, but okay, if that's what you want to do. But then this week we get a big snow and then here's what my husband's doing. He's putting that plow on his four-wheeler and he's going and finding people who dared to get out and he's digging them out of the holes that they have themselves in. That's him on his four-wheeler with his plow. He's probably so mad at me right now. But then the next picture, it's a little deceiving because the next picture is not actually a picture of a waste management can. I know that's all you can see, but I was trying to be sneaky. And so it looked like I was just taking a picture of this can, but really I wanted to, to, to capture the car that is stuck in the background and Bo, who is trying to like get as much stuff out of the way as possible so he can help. And he did successfully. And he had to continue to follow this neighbor around the neighborhood because, you know, she couldn't go back. She had to circle around the whole neighborhood and he just followed her on the four-wheeler. And meanwhile, the kids and I, we went and found a hill and we went sledding. (laughs) That's what he did while we went sledding. That's what it looks like to look for ways. And so after that, I was like, I see you, Bo Cotton. I see what you're doing. You're just looking for ways. But that's what he does. That's just what he does. Humble service should be happening in our workplaces and in our schools. You're with these people at your workplace and at your schools. If you're not virtual, you're with these people at least five days a week, most of us. Five days a week, every day, five days a week, multiple hours, eight hours a day. You ought to know these people. You ought to know something about them. You you should be familiar enough that you see needs in their lives and you're actively looking for ways that you can meet those needs and just humbly love them and serve them as Jesus would as you interact with them as you get annoyed with them because you will and you do right as you work diligently as you set the example by being a hard worker who is faithful and works works diligently and and you should look for opportunities always to serve and love your co-workers Humble service should be happening in our churches where we worship. This one's going to get a little bit like, oh, I knew she was going to go there. I knew she was going to tell us that we should be helping out in the church, right? And here's the thing. As your pastor, I can speak into this. I can't tell you how to serve your spouse, only you and the Holy Spirit. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you exactly what to do to serve your coworkers because I don't know them, and I don't know what your situation is like. Only you and the Holy Spirit can determine that. But as your pastor, I can tell you how you can humbly serve your church where you worship, and here's the, here's, we just got to get this part out of the way. It's really easy as Christians to look at the church as a consumer, right? Let's just acknowledge right now how easy that is. I want to come to church and I want a nice, warm smile greeting me at the door. I want to get a cup of coffee in my hand as soon as I walk in. And I want to go into the service and I want to hear a strong sermon that feeds me, that I think is adequate enough. And I want to hear the kind of music that I like. And I want to worship in a way that is comfortable for me. It's real easy to treat church like a vending machine. I want to get what I want and what I need, and that's it. 
But friends, this is a place where you can humbly serve the Lord in many different ways. And as your pastor, I'll just tell you, there, if you don't have a place that you serve in the church, there's a place for you to serve. Many. There's, there's many places to serve. I don't know of a single church that never needs more help in their toddler, in their nursery, and in their kids' department. I don't know a single church that says we have too many volunteers for our toddlers and our babies and our kids, right? There, there's, that doesn't exist. And so we are always needing more people who, who have a special place in their heart for kids. If you, don't, if, you, if you don't like children and if you don't like to be around children, then find another place to serve. That's okay. But, but if, you are, if you have a special place in your heart for babies, for toddlers, for, for kids who need to be discipled and taught and loved, then there is a place for you. Because like most churches, we have a few people doing a lot of things. I was sitting on the board of the, of the, the board of, I was sitting on the board of the board of credentials yesterday. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I serve on this board for our district where we interview those who hold district licenses on our district. And, and so you hear, it's a chance for you to hear from them how ministry's going and, and you're just there to support them as they work their way toward ordination. And I just have to tell you that it's in those moments where you're just reminded of pastors who are discouraged because they serve in churches. In fact, one pastor said, oh yeah, it's an 80-20 church. And I didn't really know what he meant by that. He said, yeah, you've got 20% of the people doing 80% of the work, right? That's just a thing we talk about because it's usually true. You usually have a few people doing a lot of things. And in our kids' ministry, that I'll just tell you that's the case. And so we are always needing help in that area. A preteen and youth ministry. And right now we don't necessarily have something going, but we'd like to get something going. But we need help with that. We need people who are passionate. And, and ideally one day we'll have a pastor for teens and for, for our youth group and our preteens. But, but we also have to be able to rally around them and support and because they're not going to do it all themselves, right? And so we need support for that. And so if that interests you, we desperately need people who are willing to step up and say, yes, I will serve in that area. I'm sure you could talk to, to Greg Parcell, and we always need more greeters. I think we always need more who are willing to be greeters. We could use help on our media team. Our guys back there, they do a lot, and, and there's a lot that they do that is not done on Sunday mornings. There's a lot of behind-the-scene work, and so there's opportunities for you to serve there. I'll share more about that a little bit later. And I'm going to do that super annoying thing that people do sometimes where they say things that are vague, like, we have some really exciting things in the works, and we're going to need some help when that comes. I'm going to do that. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> there's exciting things in the works. We're going to need people that are willing to step up and help. I'll end with this, with this quote from Adele Alberg Calhoun. She says, We will never really serve others unless we see that the needs of our neighbors are as real and important as our own. This may seem obvious, but the truth of the matter is that many of us look right through others and never see them, let alone care about what they need. When we are preoccupied with our own concerns, much of the world is simply invisible to us. Service is rooted in seeing. 
seeing others as God does. God cares about productive and non-productive people, poor people and rich people, educated and non-educated people. God cares about everybody. And if we harbor hatred that breeds neglect of any of God's people, we are hindering the spirit of Jesus. The spirit of Jesus is a compassionate, serving spirit that always works for the good of others. Jesus maintains that radical love for others demonstrates whether we know God or not. So as the worship team comes back up, we ask the final question, how does humble service lead us to the world? When it comes to, when it comes to serving the world and, and pointing the world to Jesus, how does humble service do that? And it's really quite simple. Humble service, when it comes from the obedience of our hearts, when it flows from our deep love for others, it's going to cause people to ask, why? People are going to look, because they're watching. They're going to watch you, and they're going to see you time and time again show up to meet the needs of others relentlessly, even in the midst of hardship, even when you yourself have so many needs, even when people aren't interested, even when people are rude, people are going to watch you serve others relentlessly and they're going to ask, why? Because isn't that the question we ask when Jesus gets down on his knees to wash the feet of his disciples? Isn't that the question that we really want to ask, why? Why would he do that? It's because of how deeply loved we are by him. And again, this is radically counter-cultural. And I also want to say that a lot of us might serve, but there might be hidden purposes behind that serving. And I just feel like we ought to acknowledge that if your end game is, is something, if your end game is to gain something in return, then it's not humble service. See, humble service turns our homes into lighthouses. The world will look at our homes and they'll see a light in the darkness. Our neighbors, they'll look to your home and they will see a safe space, a holy space. Humble service turns our workplaces and schools into everyday mission fields. Humble service turns our churches into healing centers. And it causes the world to ask, why? What's in it for you? And when they ask why, we can point them to Jesus, who gave up everything for us. I want to end, this, end with this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. He said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. That's my prayer for us this morning.
as we move into a time of response, and as we open up our hearts to the Lord to, to guide us and steer us in response to this message, my prayer for us is that we would be guided by compassion and love and nothing else. Amen. verse 10 says in the New King James Version it says yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him him being Jesus he has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin he shall see his seed he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand a lot of translations translate that verse 10 it says it pleased the Lord to crush him <laughs> sounds really harsh and the song that we're about to sing, it uses that line. It borrows from that verse in Isaiah. But when you see it in the New King James Version and it says bruise, it, there's a connection that you maybe wouldn't have made with Genesis 3 that says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is God speaking to the serpent. Between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this morning we just reflect as Pastor Nicole said on the service that Jesus made for us that he took the curse of sin he broke that curse he paid the price so that his offspring the seed that we would benefit that we prosper so I just want to take a moment before we think about all the things that we should do and all the things that we should be doing to just pause before we move on to how we should be serving and just say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done. We can't genuinely serve the way that Jesus commanded us to because of obligation. It has to be genuine, and it only comes becomes genuine in our heart when we step into a place of thankfulness for the way that he has served us. So we're just going to sing about that. Oh 
and you may be seated at this time. I'd like to invite you to take out your communion elements and also for anyone who doesn't have these, just slip up your hand and we will make sure that you have those this morning. I'm telling you, I never ever, I want to be that person that can like perfectly plan the sermons with the communion Sunday that falls the same Sunday of every month. It's always the first Sunday. And I'm just telling you honestly that I never do. I never plan it to go together so well. It just does every single time. And I can't think of a better Sunday of this whole series probably, a better Sunday that that we would pause and come to the table together as we think about, yet again, this sacrament that reminds us of Jesus' humble service, right? This is another example of Jesus' heart reflected in humble service. Friends, this is a a sacrament that is a means of grace, and that means that, that when we come to the table right now, we come in faith, hoping and praying that we would be renewed by the Holy Spirit in life and that salvation would be recognized and that we would be made one by the Spirit. This is a moment where we, if we haven't already emptied ourselves, we do so now asking the Lord to fill us in a way that only he can do. And so I want us to pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, as we gather as the body of Christ, to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving, we ask you, Lord, to pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these, your gifts. Make them, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to be for us the body and the blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one in Christ one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world until Christ comes in final victory. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Friends, in Luke chapter 22, we read this. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I love this. That's not what he said, but I love this. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Before I lay down my life for the sins of the world, I, Jesus, have eagerly anticipated this moment where I can come together to the table with Judas, with Peter, and all the others to have this meal with you. He said, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Friends, take, eat, and be thankful. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Friends, take, drink, and be thankful this morning. God, we thank you once again for your love and your mercy 
that never fails to meet us where we are. And God, we just pray that as we move out of this holy space and into our homes and neighborhoods and workplaces, God, I just pray that you would show us, make known to us the ways that you want us to humbly serve our neighbor, our brother, our sister. And God, may it be always for your glory so that we can make you known to the world. Go before us and help us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, friends, before we leave this morning, I just want to share some announcements with you. Uh, Next Sunday is the Sunday that we are going to collect the mosaic baby bottles. So hopefully you've been collecting that loose change or those ones that that get thrown about the house or, you know, just kind of tossed here and there. Uh, Fill those bottles up and bring them back next Sunday. Uh, We'll be taking those. We're also uh, going to be recognizing alabaster offering again. That, that comes so fast in September and February, and here it is again. And so we're going to have the box out there for the month of February, and we invite you to bring those boxes um, that you've also been collecting change for hopefully over the past six months, ideally, right? Um, and so we just want to make you aware of that. Lent is just around the corner, if you can believe that. Um, And so pretty soon we're going to have these um, Lenten devotionals for you that they're going to be available. And so just have that in your mind in the weeks ahead. Um, Those will be available for purchase for $6. And that's just going to go along with our sermon series and just provide you with those daily devotions that are always so helpful and such a blessing um, every day for the season of Lent. And I mentioned earlier just those service opportunities. Anytime that you're interested, even if you're interested in serving in a way that I didn't mention, there's lots of things that we didn't mention, um, please come and see me, and I'd love to talk with you more about that. But also, um, if you are interested in serving on the audio or the media team, um, you can see Jim or Nikki, and they'll get you plugged in uh, just to see if any of those jobs will be a good fit for you. You don't have to be an expert. You don't need just a ton of training. We'll just walk you through some things um, if you're interested in that. So see one of us if you're interested interested in serving or helping in any way, okay? And with that, oh, oh, one more thing, sorry. This Thursday um, on the 10th is going to be the worship team's um, first weekly evening rehearsal, and that's going to be at 7 p.m. here at the church, and those are going to be held on Thursdays. If you have any questions about that, again, you can uh, see Nikki, okay? And with that, I invite you to stand. Brothers and sisters, in Christ. I pray that you would go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I pray that you would look for ways in which you can humbly serve your neighbors and brothers and sisters. Go in his grace. You are dismissed. Have a great day.